Hello and welcome back to The Trill, a podcast by The Trillium. It is Thursday, June 8th, the last day of the legislative session here at Queen's Park. My name is Aiden Shimandi. I'm a reporter with The Trillium. I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Jessica Smith-Cross, the editor of The Trillium. Oh, and that's my turn. Hi, I'm Yasser Nakwi. I'm the member of parliament for Ottawa Centre and the leadership candidate to uh, for Ontario Liberal Party. So Yasser, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we just wanted to open with a bit of a softball. Um, a, a little birdie on your campaign told me you have a rather funny story about your first winter in Canada, something about snow days. Can you, uh, can you let us in on that? There? <laughs> so, you know, this is going to sound like uh, one of those old cliches where people tell you, uh, we used to walk barefoot in the snow to school, for, you know, up uphill both ways. Uh, but it's kind of like that story. So my family and I came on December 26, 1988, Boxing Day. It was minus 16 in Toronto when we landed. I was born in Karachi, Pakistan. I have never seen that kind of snow or minus 16 temperatures. So we get into our first winter. We start going to school. We now live in Niagara Falls. And snow day comes. And uh, we tell my parents, there's a lot of snow. And they said, what's your point? So, well, school probably will be closed. And mom and dad say, no, this is Canada. Snow is a normal thing. You're going to school. So we slapped sh- all the way uh, to the school. And lo and behold, it was snow day. There was nobody there except for my sister and I and probably a few other immigrant kids. And uh, But that continued to happen a few times and until the, the, the school folks had to call my parents saying, you know, when it's, there's a lot of snow, we cancel school. And <laughs> you don't have to send your kids. Uh, so that was uh, that was the joy. I'm still trying to use that on my kids and, and work it. <laughs> also, my my kids would be jealous about how often there must have been snow days. They don't call them as much as they used to anymore. Yeah, I mean, and it was, I mean, for us at that time. Uh, uh, now, I mean, now obviously, uh, I'm resilient to snow, and I'm like, I'm a uh, you know Canadian who've lived here 35 years of my life. I, snow doesn't bother me, but it was it was a big deal. And we were walking distance from from school, uh, from where my parents had bought a motel. So we used to walk. There was one time. I think one of the teacher actually stopped and gave us a ride because he felt really bad for us because it was like snow blowing on your faces kind of a, uh, a scenario. But, you know, it just goes back to what my mom and dad always said. It's like, you know, we moved to this country. We want to build a better life. And one of the best ways to do this is get education. So that's your focus. And you're going to, uh, to school, snow or no snow. That's cool. I'm sure a lot of people can identify with that. <laughs> sure. I, I'm curious to know, you know what an elevator pitch is, right? If you're yes. on a, yeah. a couple of floors worth of time to explain yourself and your argument or your your selling point to somebody. So I, I feel like some of your competitors in the leadership race have fairly clear ones. GTA mayor Thorne and Doug Ford's side can deliver the Peel ridings, a, a young maverick M- MP who's going to do politics differently. What's what's your elevator pitch? Uh, I'm an experienced leader. Uh, I've I've been raised to challenge the status quo, and that's what I have done in my my political life. Is always to be bold and creative and coming up with practical solutions uh, for the people that that I serve. And as the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, that's exactly what I want to do: is build a Big Ten inclusive party, transform it, uh, and make sure that we're making people's lives easier to live. Uh, I'm just going to follow up on the the status quo. 
uh, comment. We I noticed there was a Globe and Mail headline just about that. Yeah, you're challenging the status quo, and you told Laura Stone, "I've learned not to accept uh, things the way they are, to always challenge the the status quo." So I want to challenge you on on that. You've been the president of the Ontario Liberal Party. You, you're a cabinet minister in the last government. You're the only of the candidates who was a part of that last Ontario Liberal government. Does your CV in some way suggest that you are the status quo candidate in the race? I disagree with that, Jessica. Look at my time in in public service when uh, when I was the uh, when I was the minister of labor. I brought business and labor together and agree got them agree on a formula to increase minimum wage, and we did that after a long period of, of time. Um, that had never had not been done before. When I was the solicitor general. I broke the biggest challenge, the biggest status quo, which, which, which was the practice of carding, where police always said that this will help solve crimes, but it was racist uh, in, 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 in its practice. And we brought in regulations, first jurisdiction in North America, to do so without even the courts uh, telling us. We, we did that. We did that uh, uh, work. Or, or creating safe access zones for women to access um, uh, healthcare, reproductive and sexual health. Uh, again, not done in Ontario. So I have uh, taken, always taken steps that has uh, uh, challenged the orthodoxy, has challenged the status quo, and brought about bold change. So a couple of weeks ago, when Bonnie Crombie launched her campaign, she made that comment that uh, she thinks she would govern from the right of center. And that obviously set about a bit of a firestorm in, in liberal circles. We reached out to your campaign for comment for a story that we did. Um, but but this is something that I want to pick up on because it's kind of an ever-present issue in, in liberal politics. Are you kind of left of center? Are you, you kind of right of center? And so we're wondering if where you see yourself, is it somewhere kind of in the center between between where Nate Erskine Smith is and where Bonnie is? Like, where, where do you see yourself falling? Well, so first of all, first and foremost, I'm I'm a liberal and I'm a practical liberal. I have always believed in uh, practical solutions, which I think is really important for liberals uh, that will solve uh, challenges that people are facing. And my criteria always is how we're we going to improve uh, people's lives uh, when we're coming with practical and pragmatic uh, uh, solutions. What I don't think this is a fight between uh, left versus right. Uh, I'm focused on putting uh, us in the center of where Ontarians are. This is about really looking at issues that they're facing, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in education, whether it's in building an economy that works for us today and, and tomorrow and be on the side of Ontarians in, in solving uh, those those challenges. So I, I want to use kind of a concrete example to follow up on that. So the government's Bill 60 seeks to, you know, kind of ameliorate the strain on Ontario's hospitals that we've been seeing for, for, for quite a while. They're, you know, taking an obviously right-leaning approach where they're involving more private delivery of surgeries into the surgical system. I'm wondering what you think of this approach. Like, do you, do you think it's appropriate to involve the private sector more in surgeries, or would you, in an effort to ease the strain on hospitals, go for a more full-throated uh, public sector approach? Well, so I do. I do believe in, in in protecting the public nature of our healthcare system. I think that is a fundamental aspect of ensuring that are not only within within healthcare, but also in education as well. This is what I, I refer to as the promise of Ontario. This is where I always talk about my my personal story, which is uh, which is a story of so many people 
who have built their lives, whether they came six generations ago or, or just landing at Toronto Pearson Airport as we, as we speak, is that we've always had this promise that, that this is a place where you, uh, you can rely on a good quality public, edu- public health care and public education system where the size of your wallet does not uh, matter. And that promise was capped for me, but feel very strongly that that promise is slipping away. In fact, Doug Ford has broken that promise. So in my view, my big challenge with, with the premier is, is that the, the, the kind of underinvestment they're doing, the lack of creativity they're bringing um, into a healthcare system is that they're making sound like a private solution is, is the only way to move forward. Um, and that is uh, problematic when you are not doing some really important fundamental stuff to, to help uh, um, alleviate the, the crisis in healthcare right now. So if, if healthcare is the litmus test for where you sit on the system, where exactly are you? Are you all public delivery? Um, you know, private delivery is okay, but sometimes, but only if it's not for profit or more on the, you know, private for-profit delivery is fine as long as you're still paying with your OHIP card. Where do you I sit? Think, yeah, I think I think you have to recognize the fact that system is hybrid to begin with. Uh, so they already they are already uh, aspects of of private delivery within our healthcare system. Uh, second point is that uh, the 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 payer should only be relying on their OHIP card. That that we cannot have a system in in place um, where uh, people are paying paying extra. The third point for for me is that that not for profit delivery uh, is is I think um, if you want to go outside the hospital setting or community health centers setting, then then that's probably the most optimum way for doing it. The challenge uh, I have with with the the Bill sixty and what what Doug Ford's government is is doing is that they they are actually with they're not they're not solving the problem they're creating another outlet for for profit private care delivery they're taking precious public funds and putting it in a for for profit private delivery care model that's going to result in not only losing uh, this really important human healthcare human resource which is we have deficiency in going into the private delivery model that's not that's going to starve the the public healthcare system further but but not to mention creating a whole new outlet where people can start jumping the queue. I met somebody in Cambridge, Ontario, who needed a cataract surgery. They went to the private uh, public system. The wait time was over six months. They went to one of the private clinics and they paid $5,000 and it got done within a week. That's problematic. That cannot be allowed because now you're creating a system that works for haves and have-nots. So I want to pick up on Jess's question from earlier about uh, your record in the Ontario, the past Ontario Liberal government, and you know you you you've acknowledged that uh, that government did make some mistakes, but you know that you've also learned from those mistakes. Uh, you said you did a lot of good stuff, some bad stuff, and you know we we have a few questions stemming from that. One of the things that you said was a mistake was the selling of Hydro One. I believe in uh, in an interview with the Toronto Star, you called it a a short sighted decision. So I got a double-barreled question for you here, which uh, journalism school always tells you not to ask, but nonetheless. So why mm-hmm. do you think that this was a short-sighted decision and what did you learn from it? Uh, so first of all, let me just start by saying that, uh, you know, uh, we did a lot of good things uh, in government. I think Ontario is a cleaner, more fair and just province as a result of things that were done in the 15 years of liberal 
uh, government. I look at decisions like full day kindergarten that really set the, the pathway to not only have our kids better ready uh, for their education, but also now the ten dollar day childcare that the federal government has has brought in. Uh, it you can see the seamlessness. Uh, the work we did in getting rid of coal fire plants to make Ontario one of the cleanest uh, jurisdiction in all of North America. That was hard work. That was into- important work. The work we did in, in protecting pensions for hardworking Ontarians, and in fact, that impact that work resulted in protecting pensions for all Canadians. Uh, across the, the country. So there are many, many good things we did. But like any government, nobody's perfect. Doug Ford is a great example of making a lot of mistakes. Um, we did make some uh, some mistakes uh, as well. And I think one of the key thing about my experience is that I know how decisions are made. I've been at the center of making some really bold, good decisions. But I've also learned from the mistakes uh, uh, we, we made um, and to ensure that I don't repeat those mistakes. To your double barrel question on um, um, on uh, on Hydro One, you know, I, I've done a lot of reflection um, on that. I think there's a couple of elements uh, there. I think uh, one of the key pieces in, in making that decision was better engagement. I think we should have engaged with Ontarians uh, better to for them to understand the trade offs that we were we were discussing at that time. The trade offs being there was limited amount of revenues available. We needed to invest more in public transit. That was a that was a big demand of on Ontarians. And after looking at all the options, the, the best course of action that was developed was to unlock the value of Hydro One. Remember, we didn't sell the entire company, uh, just part of the company, but unlock that value and then use those revenues to build more public transit. But I think we, we didn't do the necessary work in engaging Ontarians um, and and in, uh, and understanding their perspective, and so that they could understand the perspective of the trade offs that they were talking about. Which, by the way, in government, when you're making decisions, is all about uh, it's it's a lot about uh, uh, trade offs. The the short sightedness that I talk about is where we find ourselves now, where where uh, we are. A lot is being done to fight climate change, and as we Draw and work towards um, net zero by 2050. We have a far better understanding of the the amount of electrification that we need to do. The energy policy has become even that much more important to ensure that we've got enough source of electricity that it can get to every part of of the province and keeping that uh, generation uh, uh, transmission and distribution of of that key. Uh, source of power within public domain, um, I think, would be beneficial in making that those decisions around electrification that we need to accomplish. So that's, I think, if, if from my perspective, thinking more through it, uh, this is this is where I I think that we should have put a little bit more uh, foresight into that decision. How much is it? of a challenge is it for you that we're here talking about a decision that was controversial and made five or six years ago now and the opponents you have in the liberal leadership race don't have to wear any of those past decisions because they weren't part of them you know i i i'll be honest with you i think it's the is is the media that asks me more of the more of these questions than uh, uh regular ontarians as i'm traveling 
uh, all four cor- corners of the province. The conversations they are having with me is the struggles they, they're going through. People, there's there's a really palpable sense of anxiety that people are facing. They they feel that they're not getting ahead. It's like they instead of going two steps forward, they're going two steps backward. Um, and constantly they're t- talking to me about struggles they're having. Families struggling to find family doctors or nurses. You know, uh, kids struggling in overcrowded classrooms. Young people uh, working two or three jobs, but still struggling to pay for rent and groceries. Those are the conversations that people are having with me, and they want a, a leader who's going to bring a really practical lens to these things, not uh, not just um, buzzwords or or um, uh, you know uh, uh, tokenist solutions, but actually practical solutions that's going to make uh, their lives easier to live. So to, so to be fair, I do want to talk about some of the good things that you did or the things that you're proud of that that, that you did while you were in government. And I remember you most as I was reporting on it uh, for the stopping carding uh, and for your efforts at police reforms, which, as you know, the Ford government came into power and they repealed the the bill, introduced their own. It's mostly not enforced. It's been kind of a mess. And, and the, the premier seems quite ideologically opposed to you on the issue of, of carding itself and I think policing more general. So can you speak to that, how you see what needs to be done in policing and how you're different from Doug Ford? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of differences between myself and uh, Mr. Mr. Ford. Uh, look, policing is good policing Civilian-based policing, uh, accountable policing goes to the heart of ensuring that there is safety, security, and harmony in our communities. Uh, policing and community are one and the same. And we need to really make sure that we are supporting our communities and also are supporting uh, police officers who come from our those respective communities so that they're working uh, hand in hand. And all the work that we did uh, back in 20. 16, 17, 18 were, were very much designed to ensure that that oversight, that accountability, that that positive uh, relationship between between communities and their police services exist. And putting a, a focus on on prevention more than reaction by bringing notions like community safety and well-being plans in respective uh, communities. All that work were, was supported by municipal leaders who are primarily responsible for policing. It was supported by indigenous communities because there was a big element of First Nation policing uh, um, in, in the legislation that we brought and was supported by, by the communities because they really saw accountability being at the heart of it. Lastly, I will say that there has been a lot of expert reports done uh, in this area. Going back to Iparwash inquiry back in 2007, as many of you would recall, uh, recall, then the work that we asked Justice Tulloch, who's now the Chief Justice of Ontario Court of uh, Appeal. And we really worked hard, I along with the team, in making sure that we went back to all those recommendations and we implemented all of them. In fact, Justice Tulloch's uh, report on, on police accountability and oversight, we not only implemented all his recommendations, but actually we went ahead, which, which, is, which is rare, right? Because these reports usually collect dust on, 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 on bookshelves. Um, and we had a fair bit of, of buy-in. And I must say that it was a really sad day to see the very first piece of legislation in 2018 that Doug Ford abroad was to, to gut all that hard work that came from uh, communities and municipal leaders uh, and experts uh, from across uh, across the province, which I think um, creates uh, creates 
uh, challenges in, in, in communities that could have been avoided. Is it fair to say that this is some a part of your background that you're proud of and that you have some unfinished business here? Uh, there, there's a lot of things to be done, and this is ex- uh, this is one of the things. It's something that I I am uh, quite proud of in terms of the work that was do- done. Uh, I I continue to meet members of com- uh, of communities uh, from racialized background, from uh, from LGBT community, uh, uh, from uh, areas where now we're seeing some serious uh, security concerns, like in Peel region. People talk to me about all the time as to how they are feeling unsafe in their own. Uh, homes, um, and I I find it regretful that 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 they are remain concerned where we could have been actually sort of right sort of have would have implemented all the the very important changes that uh, that was brought in forward and uh, reaping the benefits uh, of those. So we're coming towards the uh, end of time here, but I wanted to just ask you one more question, kind of on the the lessons learned thing. You know, not not just just Hydro One. You spent a lot of time in government. You're now a, a federal MP. I'm wondering, you know, in, in 2023, are there any other additional lessons you've learned from tough times about, you know, you as a person, you as a legislator, you as a, a campaigner, or you as a, a member of the executive that, you know, a, a younger Yasser might like to know? Engagement. Engagement is really, really key for me, uh, Aiden. It's, it's, it's a lesson that I continue to remind myself. And, you know, when I left politics before running for after 2018, before running for 2021, I spent a lot of time thinking about how can you continue to listen to your constituents? And remember, I'm a guy who knocks on doors on a regular basis still today as a member of parliament. Um, and the, the you can never underestimate the power of of uh, of listening, learning, and engaging with constituents because you really hear direct feedback. And I more and more continue to find ways to going back to what I hear at the doors, what I hear in community meetings, um, when I go to church gatherings or uh, community festivals to see what people are saying. We, um, I think, oftentimes in politics get get too much. Um, into uh, very minute details, which are really important, but then we lose the perspective in terms of how would that translate to everyday working um, constituents of ours. So the engagement piece for me, the the listening and learning piece for me is another very important lesson that as as the leader of, of the party and hopefully of this of this province, I'm going to always keep at the at the core of uh, everything I do. You got a really busy summer and fall ahead of you, um, but you also currently have a job to do. And uh, we're wondering if, yeah, you know, you've put any thought to if you will step down at some point from uh, from Parliament. Um, I my my first and foremost responsibility is to my constituents. They they have elected me, and I will continue to serve uh, serve them. I did step down. As the parliamentary secretary, uh, because I felt that was it was important, so that I can appropriately devote my time in serving my constituents while I'm pursuing the leadership of the of the Ontario Liberal Party. How are you going to spend your summer? Any fun vacations <laughs> planned? <laughs> oh yeah, you know, just like you travel the four corners uh, of this beautiful province. Listen, I'm a through and through Ontarian, right? Like I've lived now most of my life in in Ontario. This is the only place that I've lived in in Canada. I love this province. It's my home, and I love going to every um, every corner. 
uh, of this province, North, Southwest, Niagara Peninsula. I'm from Eastern Ontario, the GTA. It's, it's, I'm a people's person. I love talking to people. I love listening to their ideas. Those conversations over the last six months as I was exploring uh, whether or not to run uh, for the leadership and now that I'm in the race are so valuable uh, to me. People are kind. People are generous. People have good ideas. We're getting a lot of support. I continue to get encouragement and I'm just going to keep uh, doing it until uh, until December 2nd. Well, we look forward to talking with you a few more times between now and December 2nd, but I think that is uh, all we have time for today. Yasser, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. My real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, even though it is the last day of the session and we will not see much out of uh, legislatively out of Queen's Park for the next little bit, we still will have the podcast. So stay tuned every two weeks to Trill. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.